0: Welcome. Dr. James Beckett Sports Card Insights here with Rich Klein. We're going to talk about the uh, FLIR all-time great sets that came out in 1960 and 61, possibly even 62. I'll talk about that. But they, were very interesting sets that have a, a place in the hobby lore. Uh, Rich and I'll kick that around. But first, thanks sponsors. Top Panini Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Hugging the Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, CompSea.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. Rich, you, are not old enough to remember those but I am that's the benefit of being older I've got a few years on you and I remember when those sets came out but see I what's only, your earliest memory
1: I had the I, I don't think I got those cards early in my hobby history maybe 80s I started getting them I actually had 63 fleers because my brother had oh, really? some 63 fleers when I ended up with his small collection so I knew what 63 fleers were I didn't know 60 61 fleer and as you're doing the intro, I realize sixty, sixty-one Flair must have been successful with their 59 Life of Ted Williams set, because yeah. why would you then issue cards the next few years if you're not having success with your first issue?
0: Yeah, maybe. You know, I never thought about this, but maybe getting sued drew attention. I don't know. Anyway, but we're picking up with 1960. So, 60, somehow, Fleer had the idea, since Topps had the active player market cornered, they could pick another star, I suppose, but they decided to go the route of the all-time greats. And, uh, the all-time greats weren't signed to Topps, so they're more fair game. Right, right. There wasn't a players' association at that point, so it's just... Well, there uh,
1: actually was a players' association, but it was so minor. Oh. The first players' associations founded in 47. What were they good for? Very little. They did a few things for the players, but it wasn't until Marvin Miller gets there in yeah. the mid-60s that they really start helping the players. This was minor increments, but really wasn't. But they weren't even a licensing entity, I don't think. No, they weren't a licensing entity or anything. It so it was, wasn't like a, yeah. It was a minor, like, we'll help the players, but we really work with the owners and we're nibbling. Like at the, the BAT, the, the, the baseball Not even that team? good.
0: Not even as good as BAT. Okay, how come those sets, we're talking about two different sets here. The 60 set was pretty simple, easy to complete back in the day when I was a kid. They weren't regarded as good as tops for sure. And then 61, the first series came out, And I think, to me, there's a possibility that that the second series didn't come out until so late in 61, it was almost 62. Or it could have been 62. There's a lot of people in the hobby that suppose the 62s,
1: 89 to 154, are 62s, not 61s. That's almost fairly common, except the hobby has so accepted that set is 61.
0: Because of the continuous numbering and all that. But then... Why were they twiddling their thumbs in 62 then and waiting till 63? Maybe they had trouble getting all the players signed up besides Mari Wills for the 63 set that did have current players. Huh, maybe. 63 Fleurs is a cool
1: set, but 60, 61, and a parenthesis 62, they're cool sets too. And one of the interesting things is there is one active player, obviously, in the 60 Fleur set. If you think about it, it's obvious.
0: Ted Williams. Yeah. Yeah, And he's, in, he's a, one of the... Last guys in the right because, yeah as well. Okay, uh, were they ever in the baseball card monthly? I think ever? they might have been once or twice. I, I don't think, know that they were.
1: I don't remember, but they were close enough. That they were borderline. I think yeah. they I were think, always in the annual
0: books. I think the problem is they weren't active players. I think and- no rookie cards. I don't. I should look that up, but I don't remember that they were ever in the baseball card monthly. The other thing I remember this is from my not childhood, but my early collecting days of buying collections back in the seventies and doing that a lot is that the phone calls you'd get if you put an ad in the paper, I've got some old cards. Who are some of the players? I've got Babe Ruth. It's from when he was a player. It's really old. And again, that could have been... Could this have been 73 Tops or 76 Tops or one of those others? But it wasn't. No, it's not that. It's that these are really old. Yeah, they're just... And they'd be the FLIR all-time greats in many cases. Today, I still get some calls like that occasionally. I have these really old cards from the 80s. Yeah,
1: uh, They are really old. Unfortunately, <laughs> they're worth less than they were in the 80s. Now the wax is finally getting back toward
0: those days, but. Well, I'm just, you but, know, the, the whole thing about having players when they're actively playing as opposed to retrospective. And we were talking about the archives and the heritages and the, the, the throwback designs, throwback players. But when somebody's done playing, the card is not contemporaneous with their active career. To me, that's not as good. One of the great
1: lessons you always taught me was when I first came to Beckett, all the activities in the last couple of years. Well, that's, that's over, why the prize uh, guide is so much bigger for those okay. last couple of years. That's where the activity yeah, yeah. is. No, I,
0: I, can I equivocate on that just a little bit? Yes. That's, that's mostly true. That's mostly true. Not all the activity, but a lot of the dynamic activity. A dynamic is in the last, activity. That's is, is the last three years. And I'm glad it is. But so anything in the hobby that can generate interest in cards that are a little bit older, a little bit out of sight, out of mind, that brings them back into sight, brings them back into mind through Giannis Antetokounmpo, who was not even considered when he was a rookie to be anything other than a gangly guy. And uh, next thing he's an MVP and, and uh, all his cards are much more valuable, but he was overlooked for a number of years, five years probably. And when we talk about sixties, you talk about these really old cards. By the late eighties,
1: since it was 30 years after issue and they were retired players, The people that were still living that were in those sets, there was an added popular... You were actually getting a price guide bump Mm. on guys that were living and signing autographs.
0: Signable cards, yeah. Signable cards. A number of them were... You couldn't get a complete set because I think some of them had already passed away. Correct. Uh, You cannot get a complete set of those. As you said, some of them have already passed. But I used to have a bunch of those autographed. Again, if you go back to the 70s, players just signed through the mail. You'd send them some cards. And the cards weren't so valuable that when you send them, you were nervous that you wouldn't get them back. Those were simpler days. Well, nowadays it's a little bit different. Now, since you're
1: paying in a lot of cases these players to sign, and it's almost a bargain at some of those prices to get them signed through the mail. Again, you're not nervous. Once they cash your check or they do something, yeah. you do have a pretty good case if you don't get them
0: back signed. So you probably actually have less to worry about today yeah. than you did then. Yeah. What I found that, and when I look through those sets that are, uh, and they are very autographable because they're a pretty clean designs. Yes. They're not beautiful cards. They're not going to win awards. But there are no facsimile autographs to confuse someone. When you think about why did Fleer do it a second year, it allowed them to include a second series uh, that's laden with players that are not well-known and not Hall of Famers even now. And then in 62, they were either doing that or they were contemplating something. And then 63, and then maybe there was a lawsuit again then coming up. The 63 lawsuit is the one that basically
1: enjoined them from doing cards for the next 18 years. The Bucky Harris thing in 59 basically yeah.
0: took care of one person. Yeah, that's right. Gosh, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, I didn't have that card for a long time. And part of the reason that I didn't have that, and this is a plug for grading, is that I was reluctant to buy that card when it was after it was counterfeited, because I have really good eyes for certain things, but for detecting that, so I had a short set for many years. And now I have one. But when it's graded, you get the the chance to know it's not a counterfeit. You know, when Beckett grading got started, they would say, Rich, we need certain
1: ca- carts that have been counterfeit. So we know for reference. The 59 Fleer Ted Williams was a gimme. I think I paid $30 for it mm-hmm. to, so they could have it. And I'm going to presume they still have it in the grading. The cart. fake or the real? The fake one. You, 30 bucks for a fake one? Yeah. It was one I knew was from the 70s. Hmm. On oh, original fake, original fake, as as compared to a later, fake. as a, compared to a later fake, because I knew who I was getting it from. Yeah, so I knew it was an original fake, so they could really see the difference between the fake and the real one.
0: One of the things I liked about it, again just being a price guide guy and you too is that the sixty FLIR all time greats with no scarcities other than this peculiar Pepper Martin thing, that's that's very obscure. But other than that, you've got seventy nine cards in equal distribution. Except for Eddie Collins. I thought there were some double prints. No, Okay, wait. There's 17 double prints. Yes. Okay. Eddie Collins is in the... Yes. The 80 spot. Yes. Okay. Having said that, of the ones that are not double prints, of the single prints, you have a pure tournament of demand to see the hierarchy of the players. Yes. And so, if Babe Ruth is worth a little more than Lou Gehrig, who's... Equal, or more than just about everybody else or, or Ty Cobb, and you work your way down with Mathewson and Walter Johnson and stuff like that. So that was a way to get data that wasn't for people who were trying to complete that set. And then same thing with 61. Yes. If it's in the second series, I, I really believe the second series was uh, very late in the year. They're quite a bit tougher because I just think they were less produced, but they probably always had that in mind.
1: And there are some good people, but you're right. The multiples, like for Commons, like a 6 or an 8X in yeah. compa- the price guide for a second series card compared to a first series card, but you don't have a lot of superstars. I think that right. the most expensive card would be an unmarked
0: checklist that has two or three Hall of Famers. We got Ted Williams, Honest Wagner's in there, yeah. and a couple others. But yeah, you're, you're right. It, it wasn't an exciting set. I've told the story. Like I said, it hadn't come out yet, but the 61-62 Fleer Basketball in my neighborhood, those cards were not considered challenging enough. It was easier to get a set of those with just getting a box because of the collation, but people didn't spend their money on that. And it's a buck twenty to buy a box. They're going to go buy the tops box that has whatever series was out as long as they needed it. And these other cards were just, it wasn't challenging enough. And so I think sixty the sixty all-time greats, it wasn't challenging enough. And they, they were collected in my neighborhood, but they were an afterthought. And we're talking now, I know we're switching to basketball, but there's
1: no way in 1961 pro basketball is anywhere near as popular as baseball, even the retired baseball players. there's Probably not. I mean, if you compared them,
0: and I think the-, the, the Are you in the, Pittsburgh in 61? In Wheeling, West Virginia. So, so it's in the outskirts, but the, it's West Virginia. It's Cherry West territory. And he's in that set. So yeah. there is something there. So I don't know well, that it was regionally marketed, but you're right. I think baseball Hall of Famer, all-time greats, Much bigger market than basketball, which hadn't been on the scene for three or four years. I won't say it wasn't a major sport, but it almost wasn't a major sport. It wasn't a major sport. Even football was way behind baseball in the early 60s. As a matter of fact, basketball was more of a regional sport in those days. But that was the region. Yes. It
1: was. Well, in, Jerry West had left, I think, West Virginia to like the finals of the NCAA yeah, or something. Yeah. yeah. No, he was, he, was, he was, great was great in college, amazing. which tells you he's going to be great in yeah, the pros, no, but
0: he was amazing. There have been other all-time great sets that have come out. And now I guess the, the tops and others that are getting licenses or uh, putting in these players into some of these other sets. In 60, it was so unusual to see because there hadn't been anything like that. So, those were probably the first all time great sets. And I will say that. Of non contemporaneous? There's a
1: 63 Bazooka all time greats, but then you don't. Then you have a smattering 70 roll gold, which ends up being the same players as 72 Kalawags. And you have smatterings, but really, it takes a long time for all time great sets to really start getting. In the 80s, there's a bunch of, I'll call them the secondary companies. Oh, the
0: swells and things like that. The
1: swells, the Pacifics, the the people like that. And then when they started doing. They overdid it. Yeah. And then 97, 98, 99, you start getting a lot of these players into the top sets and the upper deck sets. And there's a real, there turns out to be a real market for not just the players, but if you have relics or autographs of these people. So there's always been an interest. But one thing we talked about on Hobby Hotline was that today's world is different because that was still a world where the people growing up read. Today you're looking on your phone and you're seeing highlights and you're seeing film. And there's not
0: enough film not on this. seeing these. film on those guys, I don't think. Okay, so we're out of the T uh, word. That's okay. It was proof of concept. Yes. 60 Fleer, that was uh, innovative. And it apparently was successful enough to do it the next year. And then it was imitated, not immediately, but it's been a uh, tried drug. Again, they're baseball Hall of Famers. You'd think that any set that has Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig and Ty Cobb in it is probably going to be, at least those guys ought to have some demand. Even though the photography was not up today's, to today's standards, the, the card stock was not great. But that just makes it more difficult to get high grades. Yeah, you know, I like landmark sets. The Me Too sets, I'm not as excited about. And I think in that sense, the 60 Fleer all-time greats was, was a stepping out of Fleer to say, we're going to do something different. We're going to see if it works. And uh, if you look at the things, they did some interesting things in the late 50s, early 60s. They did. And not just in sports, but in non-sports too. Were there Three Stooges guys? They had the Three Stooges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's
1: they were the are, Three Stooges. Just because the regional TV shows, yeah. the local TV shows, we always featured the Three Stooges. We had—I'm yeah. trying to remember—was Captain Jack McCarthy in New York doing Popeye, and Officer Joe Bolton in the Three Stooges in Channel on really? Pix Eleven in New York. And Officer Joe Bolton as Joe Bolton announced New York Giants baseball games in 1940. Really? So there were some interesting people who who Channel Eleven Picks had doing those kid shows in those days.
0: Who would you rather have, Mo, Larry, or Curly, or Babe Ruth?
1: Oh, it's the Curly Shuffle. <laughs> you gotta have.
0: You gotta have. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think I'd go with Babe Ruth, but no, I don't know. Curly's
1: more fun. <laughs> a babe was fun too, but Curly. <laughs> Do the Curly Shuffle. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Kids don't try that at home. If you see any old Larry Stooges stuff, <laughs> thanks, Rich. Thanks everybody. That was again a landmark set. A lot of fun to collect at the time, and it's had some enduring value. Again, it's not. It's you know, I'm glad Fleer put that out, and again enjoyed it. Thanks, Rich. Thanks, everybody. Be back tomorrow.